0: In today's gospel lesson from Luke 17, Jesus tells us of a dishonest but shrewd manager, apparently out to cut his losses and maximize his gains at his master's expense. The parable seems to be going fine until we get to verses 8 and 9. We expect the master, or at least Jesus, to say something like, You thought you could pull the wool over my eyes and discount my bills, you conniving thief. Followed by an unpleasant comeuppance from the manager, for the manager. Instead, the master commends the manager for his shrewdness, and Jesus seems to agree. What's going on here? Well, faithful, well-informed people of goodwill disagree about how to interpret this parable and Jesus' response. Some have argued that the key to understanding the parable is to realize that the manager is actually working to improve his master's social standing by discounting his bills. And that the master is, in fact, subtly grateful for this. Others have said that the manager was attempting to rectify his past dishonesty of overcharging customers by marking down inflated bills to correct their value. I'll call those ways of interpreting the parable creative, putting the best construction on them. The trouble is that there is really very little in the parable to suggest these interpretations, and there are many to suggest otherwise. The simplest, most straightforward explanation seems to be that things are as they appear in the parable. The manager, having been given his notice, is himself trying to gain favor with his neighbors and assure his future by discounting their bills without any kind of authorization. And about this, Jesus says... The children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. Neither the master nor Jesus commend the manager's dishonesty. Jesus does not present the dishonest manager as a model to be emulated except in one respect. Even the children of this world, says Jesus, even the unrighteous like this man and the self-serving like he is are at least wise enough to convert what will soon be of no value, that is, his master's credit, into something with future worth, that is, his neighbor's gratitude. At least the manager, dishonest though he is, discerns and desires that which is of lasting value, and he takes steps to get it. Luke and the other Gospels are full of similar stories in which people are faced with a choice between treasure in the present age and that in the age to come, or in the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of heaven. Think of them. The story of the rich young ruler, the parables of the rich man who built extra barns for himself and then died suddenly. The parable of the ten talents, or of the treasure hidden in a field, and of the pearl of great price in which people sell all that they have to obtain something of greater value. And so, in verse 9 of today's gospel lesson, Jesus tells his disciples to make friends for themselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that, when it fails they may have received their newly acquired, lasting reward. Given the frequent association of wealth with dishonesty or unrighteousness in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus seems to urge his disciples to exchange that perishable treasure of this age, one reason money is sometimes called filthy lucre, for the treasure that will hold its value in the age to come. Many of us are familiar with similar exchanges. When managing our money, for example, we exchange it for things more valuable than the paper it's written on. For food, clothing, shelter, education, maybe investments for or in a business, commodities, or perhaps a retirement fund. Money only has value insofar as it can bring us these other things. It's a tool rather than an object in itself. Today's parable reminded me of two instances in my own life. The first was going over to my Tanta Lisa's house when I was growing up in Detroit and being handed wads of cash in the form of Deutschmark from the German Weimar Republic after World War I. Tante who's not actually my Tunda or aunt, but my grandmother's best friend, had lived in Germany at that time of widespread poverty and high inflation. The currency was worth so little that people brought wheelbarrows full of it to the store to go shopping for groceries. And they did that as soon as they were paid to minimize its inevitable rapid depreciation. So she saved some of it and gave us kids a few million mark from time to time. In fact, I think she may have traded us for a quarter in exchange. After our initial delight, our elation soon cooled when we realized that our millions wouldn't buy us anything and that we would have been better off keeping the quarter. The second instance was growing up in British colonial Hong Kong in the 1980s, before the liberalization of mainland China's economy. At that time, there were essentially two economies in China. One that ran on local currency that could only be used to purchase limited quantities of scarce, often low quality, domestically produced goods. And another currency that ran, uh, and another economy that ran on foreign currency, which could buy just about anything at varying degrees of legality. When people traveled to Hong Kong from the mainland, they were greeted by locals eager to exchange their goods or local currency for foreign products and foreign currency at prices far more favorable than the official exchange rate. In his exhortation, following the parable of the dishonest manager, Jesus compares the currencies of two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. The dishonest manager converted what he knew he couldn't keep into what he knew he couldn't lose. In fact, that phrase was used by Jim Elliot, a missionary to the Alca people of Ecuador, who in 1956 was killed by some of the very people that he had hoped to serve. Several years earlier, he had written in his journal, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Eliot's words and those of the 17th century English preacher Philip Henry, who said something very similar, echo Jesus' words in Luke 16. What we should not take away from our gospel lesson is the idea that we can pay God or the church for a place in God's kingdom with money or with good deeds or with any kind of votive offering. Instead, Jesus invites us to desire wealth that is of lasting value, to exchange our priorities for his priorities, to live a life of discipleship rather than merely chasing our fleeting fancies. Many of us are familiar with the passage from C.S. Lewis's address, The Weight of Glory, About Desire for Reward. Familiar because I've used it a lot of times in past sermons. But it's germane here and worth recalling. Lewis wrote, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased." End quote Lewis does not scorn drink or sex or money, They are gifts of God that are blessings when pursued not as ends in themselves, but when they are received and used with thanksgiving in lives committed to the one who gives us every good thing. We cannot serve God and money. The good news is that God has given us an imperishable inheritance of salvation. And to that we can respond in gratitude, heeding Jesus' words and... The unrighteous manager's example in Luke 16 and using money and our other gifts to serve God. And we can start by discerning, usually by asking, desiring, and pursuing what is best for our neighbor. Confident that God will take care of us. Thanks be to God for sending us a Savior not afraid to commend sinners for their good ideas from which we can learn.